What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. Paul Farmer died on Monday. He was one of our heroes. He brought high-quality health care to some of the poorest people in the world, starting in Haiti. He was only 62. For comment, we turn to Amy Willens. She was a friend of his. Amy, of course, is an award-winning writer, especially about Haiti. She's also the former Jerusalem bureau chief of The New Yorker and a longtime contributing editor at The Nation and a 2020 Guggenheim Fellow. And she teaches in the literary journalism program at UC Irvine. Amy, thanks for talking with us today about your friend Paul. Thanks, John. Well, what he achieved with Partners in Health, the organization he founded in 1987, is... I don't know what you can call it. Amazing. I just looked up the statistics last year, 2.8 million outpatient visits in his clinics, 2.1 million women's health checkups around the world, over 2.1 million home visits conducted by community health workers. That's something like, I don't know, 7 million people helped in one year. He said, it's not about charity. It's about solidarity. I think that's a kind of a significant distinction. Absolutely. He never believed in just dumping things on people and then walking away. It was about accompaniment. The facts of his life, I guess you could call them unusual. <laughs> New York Times had a nice obit. They explained that when he was around 12, his father bought an old bus and fitted it with bunks, converting it to a mobile home. Paul, his five siblings, and his parents spent the next few years traveling, mostly in Florida. One summer, he and his family worked alongside Haitian migrant workers picking oranges, listening as they chatted in Creole. That was Paul's first encounter with Haiti. I know he told you this story. Yes, he did. We were sitting with, I swear, we were sitting with his um funders, the people who fund his endowed chair at Harvard, some very wealthy people. And Paul is sitting there and I've known him for years, but I've never like, you know, 
oh, Paul, what was it like growing up being you and things like that? And he starts telling me he lived in a bus <laughs> with no. And I was just astonished because when you met him, you just thought, oh, this is a Harvard Medical School genius. He didn't seem like he had some kind of strangely interesting, exotic, early biographical history. And then he dumped that on my lap. <laughs> I was like, whoa, as usual with Paul, totally modestly given, like in the course of an actual real conversation, this piece of information about him floored me. So he went to Duke and after he graduated from college, he moved to Haiti and volunteered in a little town in the center of the country called Conge. Is that pronoun my pronouncing That's that right? right? Conge. Conge. This was at the end of the Duvalier dictatorship when Haiti's hospital system was so poor that patients had to pay for their own basic supplies like medical gloves or a blood transfusion if they wanted treatment. The New York Times quoted a letter to a friend. This is actually from the Tracy Kidder book about him where he wrote, it's not that I'm unhappy working here. The biggest problem is that the hospital is not for the poor. I'm taken aback. I really am. Everything has to be paid for in advance, close quote. So Paul Farmer decided to open a different kind of clinic. And now there are 16 in Haiti with a local staff of almost 7,000. Have you visited any of those? Oh, yeah. I visited the one in Conch where he had been um, living with Haitians before he started uh, Partners in Health. And, you know, I walked in and there were Cuban doctors milling around. Cuban doctors are a huge big deal in the Caribbean. Beds and happy patients. And it wasn't designed for me to see. I just arrived with a friend of his and we were there. And, you know, it was it's pretty amazing because when you went to the uh, university hospital down in Port-au-Prince. It wasn't like that. It was two to a bed. People had to make their own food or have their parents bring their food in. Uh, if you didn't have family in the area, you didn't get much food to speak of. And at Conj, it was completely different. And then he founded this teaching hospital in Mirabale, 40 miles north of Port-au-Prince, that opened in 2013. It offers chemotherapy, a gleaming new CT scanner that costs almost a million bucks, three operating rooms with full-time trauma surgeons. And this is for poor people with difficult diseases who I understand pay about $1.50 a day for being treated there. Yeah, it's a wonderful thing. And it's an amazing thing when you see the hospital in Mirabale. It's just a big, huge hospital complex. And you can't believe you're in Haiti, to be honest. <laughs> and then, uh, but it's it had its problems because it was built in the wake of the big earthquake in 2010. It was always Paul's ambition to have a really great teaching hospital with Haitian staff and Haitian doctors learning more and giving their expertise. But it was hard to keep going. It's hard to keep going no matter what you do in Haiti right now, especially because of insecurity, but also because insecurity means uh, difficulty getting power and not having power for a hospital is, is a disaster, as you can imagine, as we all know from Hurricane Katrina. And also, um, even when you have generators to supply power for you, you still have to have the gasoline to fuel the generators and the gangs sometimes control gasoline flow around the country. So it's hard. And it was hard for Paul to keep that hospital going at the level he really wanted it to be at, which is he's always imagining the top kind of care that we can get in the US 
for his patients in Haiti, and that is not easy to do. You write in The Nation that when you've asked him for quotes for your stories about Haiti, he always said the same thing. What was it? I can remember calling him from so many different places and getting the same answer. I go like, Paul, you know, <laughs> there's this controversy in Haiti and it's so-and-so is saying that so-and-so is stealing all the energy from this person and this faction and that, you know, hospitals aren't getting any uh, electricity now. And he goes, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes like, Amy, you know, I don't know anything about Haitian politics. He always used to say, I'm out in the countryside at Conge. I hang out with Haitians. We talk about the weather and the markets and, you know, which lady is bringing more charbon de bois to the market than which other lady. And we, I don't really know about this, but he would never say, I'm not giving you a quote. He would just not give me a quote. But <laughs> I course, never got a quote out of him. That's your first quote from Paul Farmer through me. <laughs> of course, he did know a lot about Haitian politics. He knew a lot. And he knew, he knew more than I knew, certainly, about specific areas of Haitian politics, like the National Health Ministry, which he dealt with, unlike other NGOs, which came into Haiti health NGOs, non-governmental organizations from abroad, and would just establish their clinic, one clinic, and help one area and never talk to the Ministry of Health. Paul wanted to establish things that were sustainable. And the way he felt that you do that is you use whatever government is in place and you deal with them. And that was very hard. And he knew all about that. But, you know, it wasn't just you he didn't give quotes to. He didn't do this for anybody. And why exactly was that? To protect uh, his hospitals and to protect his clinics and to protect his staff, because he knew perfectly well that if you get into some big fight with some important person in Haiti, it can mean trouble, not just trouble the way like you might think of it in a developed country, but trouble that can be violent, that can mean turning off services to that hospital or that clinic forever, burning down things. Lots of bad things happen in Haiti. And he knew that. And he was just taking care of his people. You also read that you had disagreements with him about Jean-Bertrand Aristide, the first president of Haiti who was freely and fairly elected. What did you disagree about? Well, we both knew Aristide and still know Aristide, if I can say that about Paul, and were friendly with him on good terms. And uh, Paul was more friendly, I would say, because he wasn't a journalist. But Aristide was in the midst of many awful things in his second round at the presidency and, and toward the second time that there was a coup d'etat against him, green-lighted by the U.S. and the foreign friends of Haiti. And I was nervous about it, and I didn't understand who was responsible for the violence, and I worried that, you know, Aristide was going down some sinkhole. And I would ask Paul about it, and Paul would just like, freeze up. And then he would say, he's my friend. And that was it. No more conversation on that subject. What was he telling you when he said he's my friend? He was saying, I'm not going to consider the possibility that there's any wrongdoing on the part of a person I love. And that was the way Paul was. I mean, he wasn't going to do that. And, and, you know, I always thought there was an element too in his protection of Aristide defense of, if you can call silence a defense, was that he was doing business with Aristide's government for his clinics. And it was the same reason. So the same reason he wouldn't give me quotes was the reason that even in private conversations, 
he was very careful. And what was he working on in Haiti for the past year? You said here more than once that things have gotten worse than ever in Haiti. And you quote him writing to you not long ago, I've got a pretty big target on my back, close quote. Yeah. What was he talking about? Well, you know, he wasn't always in Haiti in the last years. He was in Rwanda a lot where he did the same thing with partners in health there, big hospital, lots of clinics. Um, and he had worked all over the world. Don't think it's just Rwanda and Haiti, Peru, uh, Russia, right after the fall of the wall. He did a lot of work on tuberculosis there. He was a global figure, but he hadn't been back to Haiti in a while. And then uh, President Moise was assassinated. And um, the, the insecurity that had been reigning in Haiti got worse even. And uh, people who had been going down to Haiti, like me and Paul, we got scared. And he has that bigger target on his back than I have on my back. And he was afraid that he'd be kidnapped and, and spirited away by exactly these factions that he would never talk to me about. Paul Farmer died in Rwanda. You said he had a big hospital there. What exactly was his connection there? I think he saw it as kind of another Haiti that was possibly going to be a little bit easier to work with because Haiti was just shifting and shifting and shifting under your feet and it was impossible. And, and Paul Kagame, the president of uh, Rwanda, was a progressive sort of in the mold of Aristide without maybe all the problems of Aristide, <laughs> like coup d'etats by the Americans which is hard you know, to have in Rwanda, although things like that have been done in Africa. But so there was a somewhat uh, an aura of stability around Kagame, who has also been seen as something of an authoritarian. But Paul figured he could get his hospitals built and help the Rwandan people. And he really, he did the same thing there. I forget the name of the town, Butari or something like that, that he did in Kanj. He was outside of town. He built the hospital. He had clinics. And he started, you know, saving lives. To conclude here, I wonder if you could read from the end of your piece for the nation. Balance was not his thing, but justice was. Paul was really the best that humanity ever offers from its complicated ranks. He was all too decent and generous. He was all too quick and perceptive. He felt pity and love for the stranger and the destitute and the outcast. Haiti helped him see ways to make the right things happen for those last. He started there and branched out, but he never forgot. Even though he died in Rwanda, he never really left Kanj. Paul Farmer, dead at 62. Amy Willens wrote about him for The Nation. You can read her at thenation.com. Amy, thanks for talking with us today about your friend, Paul. Thank you for giving me the opportunity, John. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.